Amen. My name's David Welcome, and let's welcome our on-campus uh, audience. They're here and every week faithfully. I have taught you hundreds of things from this spot on this stage, and today may be one of the most important principles I've ever taught you. You ready for it? There is no success without a successor. There is no success, no matter how great you think you did, if it all goes away when you go away. So I want to spend a few minutes talking from my heart today about the importance of handing off the baton of leadership well. Not only as a father, it's Father's Day, and let's welcome all our dads here, man. Talk about leaders with batons, all our dads. But I want to talk to you about what it looks like to hand it off as a leader, because as you know, the most critical part of any relay race is the handoff. Races you'll see in the Olympics are won or lost in the handoff zone. And this concept, this idea of leadership succession and transition is the hot topic right now, the hot topic among business leaders and church leaders. Business CEOs have retired in record numbers, I don't know if you know this, over the last 12 months. Some of that's COVID, some of it's other things. And over the next 10 years in the U.S. alone, they're expected to be 480,000 pastoral transitions. 480,000. Some of y'all read Purpose Driven Life. You heard of Rick Warren. He just announced that he's handing off that leadership baton. 480,000. But what is troubling is that out of those 480,000 pastoral transitions, an astounding 90% of them are occurring in churches with no specific succession plan in place. There's not going to be much success because there's probably not going to be a successor. And this is so odd to me because every healthy leader intuitively knows that they are only a temporary leader. Every pastor is an interim pastor. One retiring CEO said, I can get kicked out, I can get carried out, or I can walk out. And I'm choosing to do the latter, he said. Dr. Grubbs is in our audience today, former elder, been a mentor of mine for years. And we were talking about succession years ago. And he once told me, I never forgot, he said, a leader needs to leave the stage while the people are clapping and not throwing things. <laughs> That's pretty much what Moses did. I, I've been studying Moses a lot lately for a lot of reasons. Every leadership problem, every leadership situation, every leadership solution you will ever find as a leader in the marketplace or in the church is found with Moses. But I've been reading a lot about him and especially the handoff of his leadership baton to his protege, Joshua. And I want to hit on one highlight of that today. We're going to talk about that more as the year unfolds. But let me read a couple of scriptures to you to set up this startling statement that God made to Joshua. We'll start over in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. Something happens when you get older, when you get 120 for sure. As you age as a leader, older leaders almost always lose their ability to inspire and attract younger people and younger leaders. <laughs> Here's how I knew when I was getting old, when IHOP was more appealing to me than hip hop. That's how I knew. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I like that. 
You know you're getting old when that happens. But I'm 120 years old. I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. So he led him for 40 years, got him right to the edge of the promised land. But God said, you're not going in. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said. There's no success without a successor. And then notice what happened at the end of Moses' life, chapter 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, now check this statement out. I'm going to come back and hit on this. To this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. He still had a little gas in the tank. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. I mean, he'd been their leader for decades and generations. There is grieving. It feels like an empty seat at the table when the leader you've always known fades away. Now Joshua, though son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. And then over in Joshua, the very first chapter, the next book right after this, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, I love that phrase, after Moses, the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Would to God that we'd all be known as just that, the servant of the Lord. After this, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, now listen to this statement, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. Notice he continues, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. The mission of God is always greater than the person of God leading that mission. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, but be strong and courageous because you will lead notice how optimistic not you might lead you will lead these people to inherit the land swore to their ancestors I swore to their ancestors to give them and he repeated it again later be strong and courageous the line from God to Joshua though that popped out to me as I study in Moses life is this Moses my servant is dead now, why would God choose to declare something so obvious at the very start of Joshua's leadership run and career when he had the baton? It actually sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? They're dead. Why did God do that? Because knowing and embracing that Moses was dead, his way of leadership was dead, was the only way that people and Joshua could move forward into the promised land. It was, as Henry Cloud calls it, a necessary ending. Moses was the only leader they had ever known. All the miracles, all the success they achieved was under his leadership baton. And man, what a run they had. Their eyes saw lots of things. But Moses had to pass in order for God's people to reach the next phase, the next place of blessing. A new man, 
a new model of leadership had to emerge. And this required a new way of thinking, a new way of leading. Moses, the way he led, Moses, the way he thought, Moses, my servant, is dead. The Israelites had to have a whole new strategy to conquer the promised land. They got out of Egypt, but now they got to do something else. See, whether we like it or not, what or who got us to where we are won't get us to where we're going. We can celebrate the past as our church. You can celebrate the past as your company. You can celebrate the past in your family. But you cannot live in the past. To succumb to living in the past means you forfeit what's next. There's always a now, and there's always a next. To break through to the next chapter of opportunity, some doors have to shut so others can open. Some things have to die so new things can be born. Moses, your servant, is dead. The first thing about this is that Moses had to be at peace with his own death. He had to like, okay, God, I hear you. And it takes a while for a leader who's been leading a long time to hear the words of God, you're done. Your run is done. See, Moses is still alive and kicking when they arrived at the Jordan River. He still had some energy. He still had some gas left in the tank. He could have been stubborn and tightly held selfishly to the reins of leadership for a few more years. He likely had people whispering in his ear, you still are the guy. You're my man. That new guy, Joshua, so different than you. But God asked him to go up Mount Nemo to die and voluntarily lay down his life so he and his team and his congregation could enter a brand new territory. So God had Moses climb up Mount Nebo. It was a big mountain. Nothing about that was easy for him. Spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, I've been pondering how long, I wonder how long it took him to finally get to the top and the place designated by God where God would conduct his funeral. As he saw it up in the distance, did he wonder? Did he reflect? I wonder how long it took him to get up there because it was a big mountain. I'm thinking it was 12 to 14 months. I could be wrong. Anyway, more about that later. But stepping up that mountain was a choice. Moses chose to move toward his demise, his transition. He was making a choice to position Joshua for success, and Moses spent the final days and moments of his life traveling to that place. The predecessor had to move away for the successor to move in and forward, which, by the way, is why the Levitical priests in the temple were mandated that they had to retire at age 50. Not just because they were tired, but so younger leaders could, with fresh ideas could step up. So first, Moses had to be okay with dying. But you know who else had to be okay with Moses dying? Joshua and the people had to be at peace with Moses dying. Have you ever wondered, I mentioned it earlier, why God himself buried Moses? That seems like such a quiet, somber, solo, small thing compared to the mass funeral he could have had down off the mountain. Why did no one know where Moses' grave was? Have you ever thought about that? Could it be that if Israel, because they loved God, but they loved Moses, 
Could it be that if Israel had known where Moses' body was, they would have spent a bunch of time and energy and thought trying to go find him and start worshiping him instead of God? Might they have been tempted to drag Moses along with them to resurrect the old instead of moving into the new things God had in store for them? This might also explain, maybe for the first time, to me, this very obscure verse in Jude over in the little book and over in the New Testament, just one chapter. It says that one day that the devil, weird, was contending with the archangel Michael regarding the body of Moses. Odd. Why? I think I know now why. Because the devil loves to distract people with the body of work of the former leader, So the new leader cannot boldly and freely lead into the promised land. There's no success without a successor. So if you're a little perceptive today, you know that I'm just not talking about Moses and Joshua. I've been running this leadership race as your pastor at White Wild for quite a while. Donna, Tyler, and I arrived at Westwood Cheviot Church this very week, 19 years ago. Our daughter stayed in Virginia to attend college, and much like Moses, we have seen and done a lot. Man, what huge victories we have enjoyed and celebrated. And I'll say it more than once over the next 12 to 14 months (laughs) as I walk up this mountain. I'll say it again. It has been the honor of my life to be your lead pastor. That, that wasn't in my notes. It has been my honor to be your pastor, but the time has come to pass that baton to a new Joshua. Moses, your servant, is dead. Well, not really. <laughs> not yet. I still think there's work that God has for me to do here and with other pastors, other Joshuas. But I'm ready He's ready. We're ready because there's no success without a successor. Friend, this is not easy, but it is essential. I've been writing this sermon today for 19 years. And that's why over a decade ago, the elders and I started talking about this day. And so I want our elder chair, Bob Stoll, to come up now and share some exciting news about this Joshua. Thank you, David. Good morning, folks. This is an epic moment among many epic moments in the history of Whitewater Crossing Christian Church. 
Some of you may or may not know that the Whitewater Crossing Christian Church has been here for 105 years, if you include Westwood Chevy up on Glenmore Avenue. During that time, it has not only survived, but flourished through not one, but two pandemics. Now, in order for that to occur, I believe that the people had to show resiliency. And not only that, they needed to show and demonstrate and exhibit and have faith in God and trust in their leaders. As David mentioned, for over 10 years, the elders have been talking about this day. David has been public about the fact that this local church does not need a 60-year-old senior minister. So plans have been put into place for quite a while to have a succession transition plan that was of the same magnitude of all of the accomplishments that have occurred over the last 19 years when David and Donna first stepped foot on the campus at Westwood Cheviot. It's hard to develop a succession transition plan that's that great. But through the efforts of the succession task force, through the efforts of Alan Cruz and Joe Porter on staff, we think we've come up with something that equals the moment. If you go back over the last 19 years, you'll find that there have been many moments, many decisions made by the people of this congregation, whether it was the decision to buy property where we're standing and sitting right now or watching, whether it was decision to build a building, whether it was a decision to increase parking and build phase 1A. All of this took faith in God and trust in the leaders. Whether or not it was to build phase two, which we have the privilege of standing and being in and watching right now, that took faith in God and trust in leaders. And by the way, the fact that we did not asked the congregation to build an area that seated 2,500 as opposed to 1,250, which would have cost $26 million as opposed to $13 million, especially now with our missional opportunities changing so much as a result of COVID. So today I want to talk a little bit about a man. Um, the elders, not too long ago, passionately, and I can't stress that enough, passionately and unanimously, affirmed John Tisovich as the future senior minister at Whitewater Crossing Christian Church and David's successor effective August 1st, 2022.
Some of you may or may not know that John, over the last 13 months, has been on the longest interview known to man. <laughs> and there have been significant up and downs in that interview process. But I want to tell you that there are three things. I could tell you a lot of his attributes, but I'm just going to focus on three. One of them is his humility. When you sit down and you talk with the guy one-on-one, -on -one, it's amazing how you walk away with an altogether different perception of who he is. Certainly, he's talented. No question about that. Certainly, he has a theatrical bent. No question about that. Those are positives. They're not negatives. But I encourage all of you, whether it's in the landing or it's up front or schedule an appointment to talk with the man and find out who he is on a personal level. The second attribute is his experience. John has been broken. He hasn't hidden that during this entire process. He attributes the fact that he isn't broken now to Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done in his life through Kelly, through his family, through his friends, and through leaders in his inner circle. That brokenness is a positive because he has learned from that how to relate to people, how to start conversations that I can't start, that many of you cannot start, many on staff cannot start, because he's been there. So that's a positive. And lastly, his passion. This guy will do anything within his power to reach lost people. And that is the mission of our church, to find help and home and hope in Jesus. In Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey my commands. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Go. This man, I have no doubt, is going to do that. And I want to add that I don't look at this, and I've known David and Donna for all the 19 years they've been here. I don't look at this as an ending and a beginning. I look at this as a continuation of what David and Donna have done over the last 19 years. John Tisovich is gonna build on that foundation and go forward, not backward. And we have high expectations of him. He has been on a development plan for the entire 13 months he's been here. He's going to be on a development plan for the next 14 months. Isn't it interesting how David mentioned 12 to 14 months several times? <laughs> David is not going anywhere. He's going to be here continuing to coach, continuing to mentor John. And I need to tell you, John has been a sponge. He has taken all the coaching, all the mentoring, that David has been able to give him, and he has internalized that. He wants to get better. 
He wants to improve. Those are all positives. And I personally cannot wait, and the elders cannot wait, to ride along this wave, just like we did when David was hired. We're looking forward to riding that wave with you, John. Right now, I'd like the uh, Donna, David, John, Kelly, I would like you to come up and the elders and prospective elders to come up front and uh, we are going to lay hands on and pray over those four folks. If you could just be seated in these four chairs, please. We have a couple elders who are out of town on business trips and vacation that couldn't be here today. They've attended some of the meetings we've had during the course of this week. Before I ask Ted Mensing and Jonathan Davis to pray, I want to recognize in particular two people that are up here. Donna Vaughn, thank you. Um, You, you have been the rock that David has leaned on during good times and bumpy times. And without you, he knows, we know, that he would not have experienced the successes and we as a church body would not have experienced the successes that we have. Thank you. <laughs> Kelly, thank you. You have been here. You also have been the shoulder that John has leaned on during this time, and I know that that's going to continue, and you're going to be an integral part of his life going forward, and we thank you for that. So right now, I would ask all of you to stand as uh, Ted Mensing begins our prayers over these four folks. Let's pray. God, in this very special moment, we pause to acknowledge you as our Heavenly Father and our ultimate leader. Father, we thank you for your love and the grace you've extended to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for relentlessly pursuing us in a relationship that would be eternal. God, we thank you for your church here at Whitewater Crossing and the mission that it has to relentlessly pursue others in that same relationship. God, thank you for protecting us and providing for us in that mission. And God, just now, we thank you for David and Donna Vaughn and the legacy that they have left this church, their passion, their conviction, their commitment to bring others to you. God, we thank you for John and Kelly Tisovich for bringing them to us 
so that they can continue in that legacy and continue on that mission. Specifically, we pray for your provision and your protection of both of these families throughout the transitional period. We pray this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, how appropriate it is to talk about succession on Father's Day. For some of us together, we hear the echoes of our grandfather in worship singing, How Great Thou Art. And others of us are still embracing that you are filling the hole that a father may have left on earth and that you are a perfect father, a father to the fatherless, and you are always faithful. We praise you for your faithfulness to this body of believers for 105 years, for the leaders you have drawn and developed. We thank you for the leadership, the sacrificial leadership of David and Donna Vaughn and their vision to carry out the mission to reach the lost here in this region. God, we thank you that as they take the torch of ministry and touch it to John's torch of ministry, that you would pour an extra measure of strength and courage into John, into his heart, into his passion. We pray that through him and Kelly that the passion for the lost would, would not be lost for this body, that you would draw even more to us. Lord, we know that there, are, there is an enemy that stands against this mission. We ask your protection over the Vaughns, over the Tisviches, over the staff, over the servants in this body, and over all of those who you are actively working in their hearts to draw them close to you. God, we praise you for this movement. We thank you that you use us as servants in this. We ask that everything we say and do brings you glory. It's in Jesus' name. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, John. David. You guys can have a seat. <laughs> You've been standing for a while. Joshua 1.9. And the Lord commanded, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. That is our verse. In the days, in the weeks, in the months, 
in the decades to come to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid, to not get discouraged. My family stands on the legacy of 105 years. And we don't take that lightly. That is not lost on us for one second. And so my family will be strong and courageous to never forget the shoulders upon which we stand on and never forget where God has brought us from, where God has brought us to, and where God is leading us forward. David Vaughn, Donna Vaughn, the Vaughn family, you heard him say that he will be my coach. Man, does he have his hands full. <laughs> you know that. And then one of the elders, can you believe he said a, a double portion of passion? <sighs> I mean, do we really want to do that to me? <laughs> I want you to hear from me that I welcome the coaching and the mentorship of David Vaughn. What you don't know is over the last 18 months, through some of the hardest seasons of leadership and leadership decisions in the midst of a pandemic, it was David and I trying to navigate waters that neither one of us have been through. Day in and day out, David and I, learning, growing, crying, laughing together. I welcome this next, we say 12 to 14 months, but there's a plan after that as well that I believe is a lifetime of a friendship and a mentorship that comes from David to me. And we will be strong and courageous together. And as a body of believers, we will be strong and courageous to go after the one, to never lose sight of our mission. Our approach may change in the future, strategies, those things change. Our mission will not change. We will bring hope for the one, always. That'll never change. It cannot change. Not with this leader. Not just because Jesus said so. It's because it was our life that a group of men and women would give up so much for one, I will never lose sight of that. And I will stop a hairline's a breath away from sin to do whatever it takes for that one who does not yet have hope, who does not know Jesus as friend and Savior and Lord. 
It is only fitting that today we announce this on Father's Day. I have had so many incredible men speak into my life. But none as great as my father. I asked my dad to be here. Satan tried to stop that. Car issues, all sorts of issues. Today would not happen, should not happen, without my dad being here today. My dad and I have had a uh, unique relationship over 43 years. Maybe some of you can relate. I've done enough counseling to know that just about everybody in this room has daddy issues. <laughs> Through all of the years, I am convinced that it is because of me that he no longer has hair. <laughs> I shaved my head before he shaved his head. But through it all, we always had one thing that we could always have in common, and that was our die-hard love for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> We're both a little younger. <laughs> and as I was looking through pictures, I want to keep this up. Um, I, I, I loved this memory. Not because the Browns won. We all know the Browns didn't win that day. <laughs> I love this memory because what you may not be able to see in that picture, but I see, is a lost little boy who did not yet know Jesus. That lost little boy is in both of those men that you see in that picture. We may have had the Browns, the cause, a drive. My dad taught me so much. We'll unpack that for the next, I don't know, what do you say, 20, 30 years together? Who knows? You'll be my therapists. But the one thing we didn't have for the longest time was an open dialogue about a man named Jesus. Fast forward in my story, which I won't bore you with today. I had my ups and downs until I crashed and burned. <laughs> crashed and burned so much so that that father who loves me no matter what, it was necessary for my father then to press charges and have me be arrested and locked up. And it was one of the single most best things he could have ever done for me. 
because it was that that sent me to the path of being broken and humbled to the feet of Jesus. And then God being a good God allowed a son to go back to the father and meet him in the waters of baptism to bring the story full circle. And I love this picture because I, it caught Isabel and, and, and Kelly all eyes locked on a moment that will forever change our eternity together. That the conversation has now changed. We still love the Browns, let's be clear. <laughs> and I'll root for the Bengals too, don't worry. It's just not when they play each other, that's fine. I know, I know. I, I'm all for the Reds. It's just that Bengals-Browns thing. The embrace of the Father. This is why we must be strong and courageous. There is no timeline. There is no stopping. There is no quitting. There is in and no in season, out of season, it's all. But until our Heavenly Father returns and brings us home, one more. One more. One more. Whatever it takes, we will be strong and courageous. There may be somebody here today, right now, in this room that you stumbled in here, fresh from a smell and a funk of last night, and it's still lingering. Somebody watching online, you could be watching this six months from now. You stumble on this, and for whatever reason, you haven't checked out. You don't care about succession. You don't know any of this. You just happen to be lost, broken, and hurting, trying one more time, one last chance on this thing called Jesus. Well, if that's you today, I want you to know the embrace of a father whose arms are wide open. No matter what your past is, no matter what choices you, you may or may not have done, that on Father's Day, I want you to, to, to remember that the person we serve, the man of Jesus Christ, in the parable of the lost son, it, it shows us the Father's posture. That he's standing, waiting with open arms and eager anticipation that maybe one day his lost son, his lost daughter will come home. There is nothing like the embrace of the Father. I was looking at this story again with fresh eyes. And it overwhelmed me that it wasn't the Father's love that made the prodigal son go home. He had lost everything. He was broken. 
He was starving. He didn't have a change of heart. He didn't suddenly decide, oh, now I know I have to love my daddy. It was desperation. And I want you to catch this for the lost and broken hurting. The father's posture did not change. Even though the son was not coming home out of love, but out of desperation, the father's posture was welcome home. I know you're filthy. Get me the finest robe. Get me a ring. Get me sandals. I'm wrapping you in a love that doesn't make any sense. That's our posture. Every day. And for some, me too, on some days, it will take us being strong and courageous to love the dirty, the broken, the messy, the unlovable. But that is the love of the Father. I'll never forget one of my second favorite embraces with my father. My favorite embrace was that one that I shared with you. Number two, after a long battle with addiction and unhealth, my dad walked up to me and for the first time in a long time, he put his hands on my face. He looked me in the eyes, into clear eyes that he hadn't seen in a long time. said, I have my Johnny back. Family, there are so many more out there that need to experience that embrace. I have my son back. I have my daughter back. We must be strong and courageous for the one. Will you join me in that? Will you join me in that? Because I cannot do that alone. Let's stand to our feet. As one body, as one voice, let us go to the Father on Father's Day. with that posture that as one, we will be strong and courageous for the one. So Father, I come before you right now as a broken man, redeemed and restored because of you. I am not worthy of this moment and I am not worthy of the blessing in the opportunities you have laid before me, but I will step forward with strength, with courage. Father, I thank you for this body that stands as one to be your servants. Help us to never lose sight of the one. 
to adopt your posture, even when it is hard to say to those who are broken and hurting, welcome home. And Father, right now, for those that are hearing this, that they are in that place of brokenness, would you just wrap them in your arms? Pour out your love and your presence in a profound way. Let them be overwhelmed by your goodness and your mercy. Welcome home. Father, I ask for your protection and blessing over every family, every person under the sound of my voice. And I ask for favor upon every father and father figure. Give them a strength and a courage that they will be men of character to bring healing to a hurting world. Father, this is your church. Lead us. We will follow. It is in your name that all God's people say, Amen. 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 The closing of one chapter is what we are celebrating today. David, well done. But we are going to sing a song of unity as we wrap ourselves around our brother John. I think today I speak for everyone when I say, we will be here for you, my brother. We will be here for you, my brother. Around us in the wilderness, we can't find what we need. We get a little restless from the search, get a little warm down in between. Like a bull chasing a mad dog, is a man left to his own schemes. Everybody needs someone beside him, shining like a lighthouse from the sea. Oh! Brother, let me be your shelter. Where'd you 
next week. <laughs> wow, how about this multi-generational choir? I love it. For a multi-generational, that was a surprise. Tizavich didn't know about that. You all are experiencing one of those, as Bob described it well, epic, epic defining moments. And we're crying, we're laughing, we're enjoying it. I'm so glad you could be here today to experience this. A couple things before you leave. Always good to connect in person and online. Everybody here matters to us and God, especially you watching online. You can pray. You can talk to a person up here up front. Our elders will be up front here after the service to answer any questions. We have some FAQ sheets here in the front as well in the back. It'll answer every question you've got about this succession transition plan. I will be here for a little while. 12, 14 months. Eventually, eventually, I will be going south a little more permanently, come back to preach and do some other stuff, but eventually I will be going a little farther south. But I, I just, I'm so excited about what God is doing through John and Kelly, and I just want to tell you again, the next 14 months are going to be wonderful. I, I, it'll be a long goodbye, but it'll be awesome. But Donna and I believe with all of our heart that you got the right guy at the right place at the right time. I'm just telling you right now. So please love John and Kelly the way that you have loved us. I heard someone say that parents can love more than one child. And I'm confident that you can do that with JT and I.